And welcome in episode 27 right here, the grind on sports. I'm Wayne Kaiser alongside my buddy Ben right here as we kick it a little bit, uh, I guess, NFL style today, as we're going to talk a lot about coaching changes. Uh, we'll start in college, but then we'll get to the NFL as a former Vol, Gerard Mayo, named head football coach of the New England Patriots. And also uh, Alabama didn't waste any time less than, I think, right at 48 hours, uh, maybe 24 hours after we got off our podcast a week ago. Uh, they named Kalen DeBoer as their next head football coach. But Ben, a whirlwind kind of week, a lot of uncertainty at the NFL level, but college, at least at this moment, uh, is back to uh, Division One, uh, back to 100% with the filling of the Alabama head football job. Yeah, uh, great to be a Tennessee fan uh, for to see Gerard Mayo get that head New England, and then on Saturday we beat Georgia in basketball, and then last night beating Florida in basketball. So uh, it it's a good day to be a Vol fan, buddy. Yeah, yeah, and I think uh, I think honestly it's a good day for college football. You know, we talked about it last week. Nick Saban in the rain that has been uh, has come to a close. I think it was a little fresh last week, but now having time to uh, review it. Uh, Yay. <laughs> it's a good day. Uh, it's a good time to be really anybody's fan uh, because you you really uh, it may be it may be time for some repayment there from Alabama. But they did. Uh, they didn't go very far. Like I said, uh, we kind of speculated to this uh, a week ago. We talked about Kalen DeBoer uh, being being kind of the name on the board that you should watch. Uh, we didn't know about Lane Kiffin. We didn't know about Dabo. Uh, we didn't know about Sarkeesian, but we knew that if it got to Kalen DeBoer, that he would probably bolt from Washington to take the Bama head job. And and that very much happened. Now, who was number one on the call? Who was number two on the call? Uh, I think there's a parody video. I call it a parody video of Lane Kiffin talking to his agent or his agent speaking on behalf of Lane, turning down the Bama job. I don't know how realistic that is, but it wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me. But uh, Kalen DeBoer, again, uh, he has an impeccable record, 104-12 and 12, uh, all-time as a head football coach. Most of that at the, the Division three level or below. But he does have, uh, obviously, the, the college football playoff appearance there with Washington. And uh, he has uh, some a, a Pac-12 championship on his record. The last one, at least uh, for the near future, the last one they'll ever be. Yeah, and Kalen DeBoer, uh, with his up-tempo offense and the offensive coordinator that he has and Ryan Grubb, um, they have an ability to put put out there on the playing field um, a pretty exciting offensive system. Um, you and I uh, were talking about this last week. I thought you did a really good job talking about the potential for Kalen to be selected. I think as, a, as an Alabama fan, I, I kinda, I'm kind of curious – what their feelings are regarding this hire. Um, you know, after winning six national championships, you, you think that you kind of, you start walking around with your chest out and uh, say, well, we can have whoever we want. Uh, we can have the name of names. We can have the uh, Sarkeesians. We can have the uh, Lane Kiffins, the Bill Belichicks, uh, the Pete Carrolls. They all want to come here and they all want to coach 
at the University of Alabama. But I think in reality, um, like you mentioned, I don't know if Kalen DeBoer was the number one pick for the university. I think he is probably, like you mentioned, two or three on the list. And, and I think it's because, you know, a lot of these guys are in successful programs that they've already established. And uh, uh, those that are not and are looking for opportunity, who wants to who wants to come behind Nick Saban, man? I mean, who wants to yeah. who wants to follow a legend and, and and try to follow in those footsteps? Yeah, it's like the statement I said last week. You know, you come in and you're nine and three in year one, and and that's going to be the worst season in the last seventeen years. Uh, that's that's some weight that you don't get a whole lot when you take over a program. Uh, I don't know if you watched the uh, the press conference or not, but Kalen DeBoer, you can tell he just did this two years ago. Uh, I went back and watched his Washington tape. I would encourage anybody who who uh, who haven't who hasn't done that. Most people aren't sick like I am, but you go back and watch it, and there's some there's some eerie similarities to just his speech and the way he goes about those things uh, about how he's going to build a program here. He's going to build a culture. He's going to build this. And I, I, I'm, I have a sickness for watching introductory press conferences at all levels just because I'm interested in how big of a salesperson you are. I feel like as a, as a fan and as, a, as what we do, you know, it's maybe the only time they're going to sit in front of us and try to sell us that they can do it. And I feel like he was, he was, a, he was a fish out of water for two reasons. One, I think Nick Saban sitting in the front row staring at him. Uh, probably had a little bit of clout right there. Obviously, kind of, it wasn't you were taken over after a fired guy. You were taken over after a legend. So, a place he's not been before. And then number two, I think he he understands coach speak, but he doesn't understand where he was sitting. Uh, you don't go to Alabama to build culture. You don't go to Alabama to retool this or or to fix that or or to you know do all these things. It's there, honestly. I'm not saying that it's not a, a daunting task. I'm not saying that it's not a a job that I don't know that I'm interested in. But I will tell you this. He's going to have a harder time keeping it in between the lines than he is to build a program or to get talent or to do any of those things. I, I think he's he, – you could just tell that the moment was a little too large for him, my opinion. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean the thing that you touched on right there about – him saying we need to build this program or, or we're going to, or we're going, we're going to build this program that that doesn't need to happen. You need to embrace the program in my opinion, and you need to try to find out very quickly if Jalen Milrow is your, is your guy for your, yeah. for your offensive scheme that you're going to present uh, for the 2024 Alabama Crimson Tide. If he's not, you need to find someone that fits your style of offense um, and start having those difficult conversations. But you talked a little bit about the staff changes, uh, and he's trying to, to assemble that staff. Um, there are a couple of interesting guy, interesting people that he already let go. Uh, the Evan um, Norstrand, assistant director of player development, was let go by uh, Coach DeBoer. And, and that one's kind of interesting to me. I can see when you get into like your offensive defensive coordinator, you're trying to bring your system in. Um, but when you get into the player development guys, these are, these are the guys that during the off season, 
uh, they spend most of the time with the players. You know, they're they're the ones doing the strength and conditioning. And 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 you know just as well as I do, when you see those guys take the field at the University of Alabama, they don't need any any help. They are they're big men. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know. I, it looks like they've retained the head strength guy. Uh, they've retained the the defensive line coach, Coach Roach, Freddie Roach, and also former Tennessee assistant and running backs coach for Nick Saban, uh, Robert Gillespie. Those are going to be retained. Not sure as far as uh, GA's analyst. I know there's been a little bit of, you know, basically hack, hack and Mac going on down there because he's, he's going to bring some of his guys from Washington, as he should, because those are the guys that he's surrounded himself with to be successful. Uh, the ones that have been announced so far, wide receivers coach Jamarcus Shepard. Uh, he was with DeBoer at Washington. And then, of course, his offensive coordinator, maybe the piece that made this thing tick, Ryan Grubb. Uh, he was not selected to to take the Washington job. And that, I think, kind of spurred him to head to Alabama. I think he was kind of paused to see if he got the opportunity to be a head coach. And then when that didn't pan out, they went the, the route of Jed Fish which I guess I did misspeak. Arizona's job's open right now. But uh, once that happened, Ryan Grubb went to Alabama, probably a million-plus coordinator there. Uh, the one that really shocked me in his, in his coaching staff was his defensive coordinator. Again, Coach Saban, realistically, outside of Kirby Smart, plug and played a ton of guys that were retreads, older guys, different things because – Defense was his dynamic. It was something that he was very familiar with, very happy with, and all of those things. So he he could he could flex a little bit and and still be a big part of that defense. So he focused on staffing offensive guys that were very highly regarded and different things like that. Sarkeesian, Lane Kiffin, et cetera. But so they go to South Alabama, take their head coach, Kane Womack and make them Alabama's defensive coordinator. Is that weird to you? To me, it's not flashy enough for Alabama. It doesn't wow the recruits, and to me, it doesn't it doesn't keep any water from flooding into this ship. Yeah, it doesn't wow me either. And if you think about the University of Tennessee and you think about the coordinators that we've brought with us or we've picked up over the past 10 years, every single one of them, every single one of them is somebody that has proven themselves in that role at a high level. Um, so, uh, you know, you you think about guys like Tyson, even Tyson Helton um, from uh, USC, uh, what he's done uh, for us, and then some other coordinators that we've picked up over time. Uh, Jim Chaney, for example. Uh, I'm just throwing out a couple off the top of my head. But, but University of Tennessee, typically if we hire a defensive coordinator or offensive coordinator, um, it's somebody that has proven themselves in that particular role. This is a guy here that's that's coming from a head coaching role and going into a, s- a smaller role as defensive coordinator. Um, and, and I didn't look at it as a splash hire. I think they're really rolling the dice, um, but uh, we'll see how he performs. Well, I think Kane Womack was a comfort hire for uh, for DeBoer. I think he wanted at least at those coordinator positions – people that he had worked with before and looking back looks like Kane Womack was the defensive coordinator and linebackers coach at Indiana when uh when DeBoer was there uh that as offensive coordinator there in 2019 so uh it's a comfort hire for him 
like I said, I don't think it really demands a lot on the recruiting trail, and I think that's where things are are beginning to. I don't want to say unravel, but they are beginning to. Uh, I don't know. They're beginning to kind of falter a little bit. Uh, speaking of recruiting, uh, a statement that was made, and I didn't get this in last week's podcast, but I felt like it's just a staggering stat, right? So recruiting is a big deal in the Southeastern Conference, really in college football, but ultimately in the Southeastern Conference, it's king. Uh, of Nick Saban's 16 seasons at Alabama, how many number one recruiting classes do you think he had? Uh, man, uh, I'd hate to guess, buddy. I mean, tell me. Billy Bob would say it. Ten. A freaking Ten. Like he had 10, 10, 10 number one, number one recruiting classes. So, and I believe all 16 were in the top 15 or something like that. Something stupid like that. So, uh, you know, where Kalen DeBoer's most recent recruiting class, like coming off of a, like this last cycle. Uh, so leading into a college football playoff berth, you know, this December, you know what it finished in the country? What? Roughly, roughly 30th, 30th. So, so I guess what I'm saying is this guy doesn't seem to have a prowess for recruiting. Now I understand the product that you're selling changes the dynamic. Uh, I don't know if you remember rainbow vacuum cleaners back in the day, but if I was selling Kirby's and you were selling rainbows, you're probably going to sell more vacuums than I am. So what you're saying, so what, so what you're saying, just to go along with the varsity blues quote, when Nick Saban says, Miss Davis, you go prom with me, she says Ms. yes. Says when yes. DeBoer, when DeBoer says, Miss Davis, you go prom with me, no, I'm going with Nick Saban. Yeah, yeah. I no, I think he is very much uh I don't know that you get a honeymoon period in this gig. I, I don't know. There was there was some fans that that told DeBoer they're gonna give him three games to get this thing right. And, and DeBoer kind of laughed about it in the, in the opening press conference. And I thought Greg Byrne and the president of the university and a lot of guys said the right things that they're going to give him time. They're going to give him all the resources. And I don't, I don't doubt that to be the case. I, I think you're still not going to out recruit Alabama because they have a bigger stadium or because they have better resources or better facilities. That's he did upgrade in that regard. But I think when you, you sit down with somebody and it's like, why should I come here instead of going to Georgia? Why should I come here instead of going to Texas? Because ultimately, you're no longer fighting Oregon, Oregon State, and uh, and Washington State for recruits. Uh, Southern Cal, maybe. Which I still think Southern Cal, they're they're like the Vatican. They really don't count. It's like its own, it's its own country. It, it just doesn't count. So, uh, but... What I say by that is he is gonna he is gonna see the side, the dirty side of recruiting that he's never seen before. Cause this guy, albeit that he has a great record, a sterling track record of success, he's never coached in, in the South as far as being affiliated with a team in the South. And then he isn't just going to a southern team. He's going to arguably the southern team. And uh, I think he's going to one with a fan base that, for the lack of a better word, is ready to – I mean, they're ready to fire him right now. If he doesn't make the same splash that Saban did, Saban – I mean, if you remember, he was 6-6 six and six or 7-6 and six after the bowl game his first year, and then he got to 10 or 11 wins and never looked back. And so 
Uh, I think Kalen DeBoer may get one year, and it's just all about how that one year goes. But we talked about it last week. He's got his hands full. Yeah, and I think it. I think a lot of it is the timing of this uh, decision made by Nick Saban. There, there's not a lot of um, high wow co- coaches out there that are available or that are wanting to change jobs to come to the University of Alabama. So, uh, well, I think they know exactly what we've said. This is a this is a two year deal. That's right. I guarantee you, if he does, if he goes two seasons and has less than 10 wins in both of them, he's gone. Yeah. Game over, ball game. Uh, now, and, but now, you're right, because like you said earlier, and I think it's a, it's even it's even correct in coordinators and position coaches, you think you're going to leave Texas? Steve Sarkeesian, with his playoff appearance and with Arch Manning growing and, and Quentin Ewer coming back next year, I would assume, unless, unless Sark is saying, hey, you need to go. I got another guy in the wings. People, they are they are cemented in Austin for another year. Ohio State, Ryan Day, I, I don't think he's going to get fired or he'd already been fired by now. People aren't, aren't necessarily looking to leave Ohio State right now, which I think their big deal with not firing Ryan Day is they're, they're in the search for an athletic director. I think that's bought him another year. But um, what else? Jim Harbaugh. I think right now everybody's staying put on that staff because probably Jim, knowing how spacey he is, he's told them that he doesn't know or or that he's I may be coming back. They're still working on a contract deal, so I expect that staff to stay cemented. Uh, Georgia, nobody's leaving Kirby's staff to go into the fire pit uh, that is Alabama right now. So to me, you're right. Uh, he's pulling from South Alabama. He's pulling from his old staff at Washington, and he'll probably pull some some guys he's worked with in the past. But, no, I think uh, I think he's in a tight spot. I think it's a good point. Yeah, and unfortunately for DeBoer, um, he's not, he's not going to have that patient fan base. Uh, you and I talked off air a little bit about, you know, when's the last time that a coach replaced a coach and had sustainable championship success? You know, you look at – you look at Joe Paterno and and you, you had Bill O'Brien and now James Franklin. You had Jim Tressel, and I think it went to Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer had some success, but not not what the Ohio State fan base was looking for. The Jimbo Fisher replacing um Bobby Bowden, yeah. Bobby Bowden and and you had some success there, but the program, look where it is now. Uh Spurrier and and that train wreck down in Florida. So Alabama fans, uh need to learn from the history books on what we've all experienced from a fan base perspective. We had some success with Lane Kiffin the year after Fulmer left. Uh, but we went into a, we went into a downward spiral in the Dooley and Butch era uh, before we finally got out of it. Uh, but Alabama to the delight of us, Tennessee fans, and this is wearing orange colored glasses, uh, they're going to go through a down period. And that's something that they need to be prepared for. Yeah. And, for Coach DeBoer, like you said, unfortunately, this might be the guy that they hired just to buy them some time to find their guy and just, you know, hey, get the program, sustain it a little bit. When somebody is ready to take over this program at a high level, we'll hire him at that time. Yeah, and and, and I don't know, you know, I, it's just interesting. It's interesting. I think they can look at their own 
history books. I, I made a joke as soon as they hired him. Uh, the last coach that was hired out of the state of Washington for Alabama didn't work out so well. Uh, it was Mike Price, the guy who I think we told the story last last week. Never never coached a game as he uh, let's just say he had other interest in the state of Florida. But um, but uh, I we'll see what happens there. Uh, I'm. I'm pretty guarded. I hope uh, I, I don't know of anybody on our staff that would be hot to leave or that that would be interesting to DeBoer. I think that's a positive for us. Uh, so I just think you gotta you gotta see what he's interested in changing. You gotta see how he approaches the off season, how he approaches this year one, and then ultimately uh, see how he handles the buzzsaw. Like we talked about, his his opening game in Southeastern Conference play is a home game, but it's against Georgia the team that Alabama beat in the SEC championship game. So they're going to be revved up and ready to go for that football game. And then, of course, he comes to Knoxville. He goes to Baton Rouge. He goes to Norman, Oklahoma. And then I think he has Arkansas and A&M maybe at home. So uh, he has got his hands full with a schedule, uh, unlike what he ever saw at Washington or or at his previous stops as head football coach. So uh, Kalen DeBoer, uh, he's all roll tied right now. He was, uh, I believe he went to a, a basketball game the other day and it's just, it's not real yet. You know, he's kind of like Brian Kelly was a couple years ago at LSU. He's trying to change his words. He's trying to fit in. Uh, and he just, he said roll tide. And I was like, I don't, it was just the most awkward thing I'd ever seen. Yeah. I mean, my, my kind of closing comment on this too, is I think of, I think of, you know, any product that's out there that has that's off the shelf, like Coca-Cola or uh, I'm thinking of big, big name products that are out there. It is perfect just the way it is. Right. So, right. so Coca-Cola is Coca-Cola. Nobody can compete with it. Right. Let's take let's use Coca-Cola, for example. So this is a challenge for Coach DeBoer because he's going in and he's going to want to bring his he's going to want to bring his culture. He, he's going to want to bring some things that has made him successful, rightfully so. But it's got to be a balance because this thing is already running. This thing is running, and it's running straight for the college football playoff year after year after year. And any tweak that you make to something that's already perfect, imagine if you change the ingredients to a bottle of Coke. I mean, what would that do to Coca-Cola globally, you know? If they all of a sudden decided, you know what, we've got a new executive. He he wants to put a pepper, a black pepper in Coca-Cola. He <laughs> thinks black pepper will will provide a little bit of additional flavor to Coca-Cola. Take take a take a little bit of that sweet out and spicing up that Coca-Cola. It could wipe them out, man. It could completely wipe them out. So so I think he's got to be careful. I think he's got to kind of embrace what Nick Saban has done. Um, but, uh, we'll, we'll sit back and, uh, uh, we'll continue with the hypo train, brother. We're going to be all right. Yeah. I think, uh, I, I think it's good for us. I mean, I, I, I tweeted out and, you know, I think, I think we were on the phone when that really, when the note kind of came down, uh, that, that DeBoer actually coached at Indiana in 2019 for the 2019 season, uh, when Tennessee played them in the Pruitt era. And we beat them 24-23. So that's that's our one shake at DeBoer so far. And uh, we got him. So excited about what this next season looks like for the Vols. And and hopefully, uh, I hate to say it, I hope they stump their toe a little bit in recruiting. I hope they uh, 
they do try to tear down the statues uh, in Tuscaloosa because, again, culturally, this is a stretch. And so I'm interested to see how it plays out. Uh, but moving on, NFL, uh, even though college seems to be fairly certain at this point, NFL very much not. Uh, the, the jobs that have been closed out, one of those by former Tennessee football player Gerard Mayo, uh, kind of a built coach there in New England as he's been on staff with Belichick for several years, uh, has had his name in the hat for, for multiple head coaching jobs. And by, by way of, I'm not sure what they promised him or what they, they told him, but he, he kind of uh, stayed satisfied there in the New England area uh, for the Patriots, the Kraft family, et cetera. And uh, it paid off the other day as he's named head football coach, the guy that will uh, that will uh, take over after Bill Belichick. Kind of a similar status of where DeBoer is. The only difference is he really is going to have to rebuild the Patriots because as of the last few years, I think the last three seasons, uh, Bill Belichick has allowed uh, this team to deteriorate to a shell of what it was before. Uh, so I think Gerard Mayo, he does have a little bit more firm footing to make changes, to do his thing, and I'm excited to see what he can do. Long-time, uh, long-time assistant finally getting his opportunity. Yeah, I'd like to see uh... – uh, Coach Mayo get this opportunity. It's it's kind of funny to say it like that. I remember watching him play uh, such uh, good defensive football. And for uh, the Patriots organization to pass on Kellen Moore and go with Mayo uh, just tells you what their focus is going to be in the upcoming season. Uh, they want to establish a new scheme on the defensive side of the football. Um, and, and I think it's very important because as this uh, up-tempo – uh, RPO offensive system, uh, as it has evolved over the last five to 10 years, it's very important to have a strong defensive mind uh, on that sideline coaching your team. Uh, so excited to see Mayo get that opportunity, brother. Well, and you know, you were talking about passing on Kellen Moore. I think it's a bigger thing that they passed on Mike Vrabel. I mean, the right. Titans kind of made their their decision to move on from Vrabel. I think it was mutual. I think Vrabel wanted more control. I think uh, the Titans wanted to kind of let Rand Carth in place and, and pick uh, who he wanted. But ultimately, I, that may have been very much why the Kraft family said, you know, maybe it's not the right time to bring Mike back, is maybe Mike was very headstrong about wanting player personnel uh, decision-making ability, and, and Robert Kraft said, Mm-mm, I'm the only one that picks players around here. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. Looking at Gerard Mayo, though, uh, as a as a player, I, I think it's interesting. You know, everybody remembers around here his Tennessee time, and obviously uh, that that that's a big reason why we're talking about him right here. Not because it's the New England Patriots, uh, but as a as a player, he he played for the New England Patriots from 08 to '15. So very much uh, a Patriot through and through. Then immediately went into coaching uh, there after that. Had a, a brief break. Uh, from playing time, and then finally came back to the Patriots in 2019 uh, through this last season as linebackers coach, uh, and then he will be the head coach. In his playing days, he was a Super Bowl champion, defensive rookie of the year, first-team All-Pro one time in 2010, two-time Pro Bowler in 10 and 12, the NFL tackle leader in the 2010 season, uh, the the all-rookie team in 2008, uh New England Patriots All 2010s team in uh, when they announced that, and then first team All SEC when he was at Tennessee in 07. 
Yeah, and I'll I'll be interested um, to see how how he handles the Mac uh, the Mac uh, Jones at quarter Mac Jones at quarterback. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in the NFL, uh, you and I have talked about it before. It's 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 not just very important. It is the most important thing that you can have as a head coach in the NFL is a good quarterback to compete for a Super Bowl championship. So. I'm curious how he handles the Mac Jones um, project, let's say, uh, because up to this point, Mac Jones has not not filled those Tom Brady shoes that Patriot fans are looking for. No, I, I think you're you're exactly right. And then I think uh, he's going to have to change the the mantra there in, in New England. You know, I think previously because you had Tom Brady, because you had an elite defense with just really – if you think about all the successes that the New England Patriots had, yes, there was some star-studded guys that were sprinkled in there. You know, they had Randy Moss for, I think, a year or two. Yes, they had Tom Brady. But realistically, name another great that came out of that franchise. They, there really wasn't any. I mean, you can maybe you changed my mind, but it was a lot of uh, uh, a lot of no-name running backs that when they left New England, they fizzled out. You had some receivers. Danny Amendola, Julian Edelman, really, when they when they tried to take it outside of, of Boston area, New England, uh, it didn't work out. So I think it very much was a close-knit thing that they had going there for a long time. But then as, um, as Tom Brady left, went to Tampa, and then ultimately retired, they tried to continue to build from within, tried to take a project in Mac Jones. And, yeah, this is a really smart kid. This is a guy who wants to win. I think he wants to do a good job. But I think the uh, uh, in the NFL, because everybody's a pro at that point, it is about the Jimmys and Joes. And I think they just didn't have it there. And so, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be more of a pro approach with him. I think it's going to be interesting to see who he gets as his coordinators, how many people he keeps. I think, obviously, he's probably going to – he's going to air with some of his defensive coaches. But I think it'll be really interesting to see what they do on the offensive side of the football. I mean, and and if you think about it, behind every great coach is a great quarterback. So typically those great coaches, once they lose that great quarterback, they fizzle out. Um, so um, the question I think New England Patriots fans are probably asking themselves, well, all these years, was it was it Belichick or was it Brady? I mean, it's the same, it's the same system. Uh, we have a different quarterback. But we have the same offensive system, and we can't be—we're we, not even competing for the playoffs, uh, you know. So, I mean, the culture's still there, but the quarterback's gone. So, very well, and I don't know how much the game—I don't know how much the game changed affected that. And what I mean by that is, Belichick had all of his success in a in a time where there wasn't the RG threes, Pat Mahomes. Uh, Kyler Murray, the the mobile quarterback, it was still very much a a drop-back passing system. So I think athleticism stepped up and really kind of deteriorated that that culture and deteriorated that option. Uh, Because even if you look at it, um, teams, I'm trying to think of teams, Steelers, I mean, I think they're a decent example of a team that's still trying to play old-school kind of smash-mouth, drop-back passer type football. And in today's NFL, it will win games. It just won't win enough to keep you going this time of year. Yeah. Yeah, and, and for Mike Tomlin to make a playoff run with Mason Rudolph, 
Um, that's incredible. I mean, that tells you the the caliber of coaching that Mike Tomlin has down there in Pittsburgh. Uh, so, yeah, I'm with you. Looking at this, Mayo and, and company is going to have the third overall pick in this year's NFL draft. I don't know if you go quarterback there. I, I don't know who's out there, honestly, because, you know, I think, uh, Kalen, if, if Williams comes out from USC, I think he's going to the Bears. I think that's mm-hmm. pretty much a foregone conclusion. I uh, don't know if that's the right move for the Bears, but it, uh, I think all signs point that direction. But I'm just sitting here trying to think. I, I don't know that you rebuild the franchise with a guy like Drake May. I don't know that you rebuild a franchise. I mean, Michael Penix Jr. may be a rebuildable guy, but I don't know that he's the third overall pick in the draft. Yeah, yeah. I'm with you. I don't see him. I see him going higher than three. I think he's the I think he's the guy. I think he is the guy in this draft. He's the he's the quarterback that uh I think he he shows the capability, the arm strength, the ability to move in the pocket. Uh, so I think we'll see. I I think his stock kind of – I think his stock took a hit in the Michigan game just because I think they they dramatically changed the perception of his pocket presence because there was a couple times where he just took a lick and you could tell he he didn't know the pressure was coming. He couldn't feel it. And and so that's not a discredit to Michigan. That just is what it is. I think we'll see how his pro day and the combine – I think if he shows – pretty impressive measurables uh he can overcome one one ball game but unfortunately sometimes you're graded by the last time you hit the field uh which wasn't very positive for Penix. honestly i'm just trying to talk him down so that hopefully he's there at the last part of the first round when the broncos pick so uh, full disclosure there i'm trying to pick up mel kuyper's uh big board just to see if uh who they're they're projecting as kind of the third best player but uh, either way, I think uh, it's it's fresh. It's it's something new for New England, which I think is pretty good. I think just having the same guy for so long, I mean, Alabama fans won't agree with it, but I think it's good sometimes to have something to be excited about. Like, in a lot of ways, when you have the same regime, you have the same system, you know he's going he's gonna to be slow out of the gate. It's not going to be fun watching preseason games. He's going to do things a certain way. And if you love that, then it's a bad thing to have a change. But I would say, you know, more times than not, people in New England was ready for this thing to change. It changed, but didn't go too far out of the what you would call the Patriot way. And so uh, I'm excited about Gerard. I I hope for some success. I mean, it is an AFC team, so I don't need him to be a juggernaut. But I do do wish for, for some good seasons for him and a good experience because he's he's been loyal to that franchise and it's it's honestly good to see that a franchise was loyal back mm-hmm. but been uh, a lot of other jobs still left to, to be kind of talked about the packer or not the packers the falcons job the titans job the raiders job uh the chargers job all of those still open right now uh, some of those are expected to be filled with certain guys. Like it looks like Antonio Pierce is very much leader in the clubhouse with the Raiders. I just don't think that's officially done, done yet. The Titans, it's been eerily quiet with the fact that Amy, uh, Amy Adam Strunk talked about wanting to get ahead of things and not, didn't want to get behind on, on who they could talk to and different things like that. Um, it's kind of interesting how quiet that one has been. Uh, looks like Jim Harbaugh's made his rounds the last few uh, few days, few weeks, or I guess last few days. 
with the snow here around here, it seems like it's been weeks. But um, he has interviewed with the Falcons. I think he either has or has scheduled an interview with the Chargers. And he has not signed an extension with the University of Michigan. So, uh, to me, he's kind of a hot board item. Have not heard much uh, from Bill Belichick. Thought I would hear him maybe taking some visits or looking or talking to teams. Haven't heard anything from him. Haven't heard anything from uh, Pete Carroll, anything from Mike Vrabel. Been a pretty quiet uh, quiet season, if you will, for a ton of openings. Yeah, yesterday, Jim Harbaugh interviewing with the Falcons. That created a lot of buzz uh, in the coaching carousel. Uh, but also a couple other names that presented themselves. So Todd Monken, we talked a little bit about him. Um, he interviewed uh, on the 11th with Carolina with the uh, Carolina Panthers. Yeah, Panthers. Um, so his name his yeah. name was uh, kind of a whisper <laughs> around the uh, the bumper cars or the carousel, whatever you want to call it. But uh, but he's a guy that it's kind of interesting to start to see him up on a couple of these interview boards that won two national championships at Georgia as OC for Kirby Smart. Uh, he's in the he's in the uh, divisional against the Texans for the Baltimore Ravens calling plays for Lamar Jackson. Um, so in his first year in the NFL, so, uh, shows that they have a lot of confidence in what he can do as an offensive coordinator. I also saw Dave Canales. I saw his name out there as well, um, as a candidate for a couple of jobs. And you mentioned Dan Quinn, but yeah, curious what, curious what they're going to do in Tennessee. Um, that's, that's one job that, uh, Amy hasn't really come out and said, you know, kind of what direction she wants to go. She's kind of made it clear that she wants to move quickly, but uh, here, here we are. Um, yeah. Uh, some, some NFL teams have already moved and uh, no hint as to uh, what direction she's going to go. Yeah. And, and, you know, I don't know that that doesn't speak to a team that's still playing in the, the playoffs. I think Ben Johnson's a, a name that's going to be uh, going to be an interviewer, uh, down the road, he's the I think he's the offensive coordinator for the Detroit Lions. Uh, he's the name to, to kind of look at. Uh, Eric Bieniemy, I've heard his name circulating with some jobs, especially uh, with the Commanders. You know that job's still open. Uh, the uh, uh, what's the other job that's open? Seahawks job is still open. That's the one Dan Quinn has kind of been mentioned mm-hmm. uh, in in regards to that one's just kind of interesting to me. Like I said before the show off air. I said that one would have made more sense if Cam Chancellor, Bobby Wagner, uh, Richard Sherman were still there. You know, Legion of Boom, that's kind of where Dan Quinn got that prowess defensively. I, I just – I don't know. I, I, I think he had a go of it in Atlanta. I mean, not many people have success when they go to Atlanta, or at least uh, over the last several years, uh, and and he wasn't successful in Atlanta. So, I – I don't know. I, I feel like the NFL just they ebb and flow, but more times than not, they they go with a retread coach, and it just doesn't work. I mean, uh, name. I'm trying to think uh, outside of like Pete Carroll. I'm trying to think of a, a coach that the second time around was a good fit. You know what I'm saying? Some mm-hmm. would say Bruce Arians because you know he was at Arizona, and then he was then he then he had success at Tampa. If he doesn't get Tom Brady, he doesn't have that success. Hate to say it. Bruce is a cool guy, wears those cool little hats, was fun on the Manning cast the other night. But really, I think he's just a good offensive mind that lucked into a Tom Brady sweepstakes, my opinion. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
I mean, I think you could say Bill Belichick, um, but I think anybody who's the, that first stint was with the Browns gets an asterisk with me. Uh, so, so I don't know that I put that one together. Uh, yeah. What about think- the Go what ahead. about the, the the Eagles? What's the, what's the Eagles coach that's in the hot seat right now? Cesari uh, or Siriana? Siriana, yeah, he he followed Andy Reid, um, so uh, he had some success early, uh, but uh, he has well, since he, he actually followed Doug Peterson. Oh, Doug, Doug Peterson, Peterson, that's right. And, right. and Doug Peterson, I mean, maybe you can put his name on that list. He he at least makes the the Jaguars a potential playoff team most years, but he was a retread. I He's mean, he, retread, he, it, yeah. he got a Super Bowl in Philadelphia and then a couple years removed. The magic wasn't there. They weren't happy. They separated. Now he's down in Jacksonville, but I just, I don't, I don't get the retread look. I don't, I don't, you know, Ron Rivera, he was with the Panthers, took them to a Super Bowl or whatever. And it didn't work out. They lose the Super Bowl and he gets fired. And he went to Washington and had several years. Well, here's one, and I guess I probably should have thought of this one first. Andy Reid. Yeah. Andy Reid couldn't get over the hump in Philadelphia. They they ran out of patience, and they got rid of him. He goes to Kansas City and is doing what he's doing now. So what I'm getting at is, though, it's just not likely. It's not likely if it doesn't make it the first time for it to stick. But yet, every – and maybe it's the good old boy system. Maybe it's the NFL understands – He's at least easy to work with. He at least knows what he's doing. As long as I get him good players, we can make it work. Yeah, this is a this is a terrible division, you know. And I think sometimes people can excuse away bad performance. Oh well, the reason he didn't make it was because he was in the in the division with the Patriots. He was in the division with the Steelers. He was in the division with the, the Ravens. Oh, if he was in our division, we'd be fine. I'm hoping for a good retread job with Sean Payton and the Broncos, but I'll be honest. That's my, that's my one worry is that when it does. Now, the only thing with him was, is he didn't get fired from the Saints. He retired effectively and then decided that wasn't for him and came back. But I don't know. I just, to me, the NFL is, is somewhat predictable uh, in the fact that I'm hoping guys like Ben Johnson, guys like Gerard Mayo, Guys like Kellen Moore, give these guys a shot. Ultimately, it it at least puts some butts in the seats because we don't know what to expect. Yeah, and I and I reminisce on a story, and maybe 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 it's because of this, Wayne. Um, you remember when Haslam uh, took over the Cleveland Browns, mm. and they said, "Hey, why did you why did you pick? I think it was Baker Mayfield. Why did you pick Baker Mayfield as quarterback?" make him the number one overall pick and you didn't take Lamar Jackson. You didn't take uh, one of these other higher draft picks. And he said, well, I read into a bum in the street. And uh, I think the story was that, you know, I said, Hey, who would you want to see as quarterback of the Cleveland Browns? And he said, Baker Mayfield. Um, I wonder if it's more of the fans really have a say in and who you're going to have as a head football coach at the NFL level versus college. And what I mean by that is, you know, you hire a guy like Ron Rivera. You hire, hire a guy like Mike McCarthy down in Dallas. Um, somebody that has already been a proven winner somewhere in the NFL. The fan base goes, all right, you hired Pete Carroll. He was terrible in Seattle, but guess what? He's going to bring us a Super Bowl here. 
Um, Sean Payton in Denver, you know, he won a Super Bowl down in, uh, you know, down in New Orleans. He's going to win us a Super Bowl here in Denver. You know, the fan base easily accepts that and says, okay, I like my ownership. They hired, they hired the guy I wanted them to hire. Uh, so, for example, whoever hires Pete Carroll or Bill Belichick, regardless of how they performed the last couple of years, they're going to come out looking, that owner's going to come out looking like a shiny penny, buddy. Well, I think it's it's one of those, and I, I still say this, you know, why did the Broncos draft Tim Tebow? Why did the Browns uh, draft Johnny Manziel? Why did the, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of other hometown boys, you know, why do, do certain teams draft certain players? It's for jersey sales. I mean, at the at the end of the day, I can guarantee that I can sell enough to, to get this thing covered. It's really why I got mad that the, the Titans didn't pick up Hendon Hooker, honestly, because I thought they could pay his contract in jersey sales. But yeah. I think there's a big, big price tag on can they put butts in the seats? Can they make us competitive? And then, like I said, these these coaches, yeah, at the pro level, you don't have to recruit, but you have to get buy-in, right? And I think these guys are really good at spinning it as, you know, I didn't get along with my general manager. He didn't provide me with players that, that I could win with. This is my plan to, to get it right. And these owners, even though they're they're bajillionaires, even though they have all this money, even though they're they're very bright at what got them wealthy, they're not football players. They're not football coaches. So if the story looks good, feels good, sounds good, and there's a couple guys that'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, oh, Don, or oh, Coach Jones, or oh, Coach this, oh, yeah, you give him the right players, he'll get it done for you. So to me, I'm afraid that's the approach that these, these NFL ownership groups are, are on because if you think about it, long gone are the days of like a George Hallis with the Bears that he can go, nope. I've done it. I see it. You're lying to me. Hell uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? But, uh, <laughs> but but what I'm saying is is it's it's more of a I don't know football, so I'm going to assume you do, and you're telling me a good story, and you agree to my terms. So I think that's more of it. But uh, I think it's it's going to be real interesting the next few weeks. I I really expect here and maybe the next. I don't know. I mean, I think by far, by the Super Bowl, we've got these jobs pretty well hemmed up. It, they may not have taken control just based on still being in in a in a playoff race or whatever, but I expect them to be full. Looks like uh, news just broke. The Cowboys are going to extend or, or at least going to pull McCarthy back for another year, so that wow. job will stay will wow. stay closed for now. So that will not be the landing spot for Bill Belichick. That's a that's been a big rumor uh, going around. Uh, if I had to guess today, and that's kind of where I was going to kind of spin this and close it down. If I'm guessing today, everybody in the media group, and I'll just jump on the bandwagon, they're expecting Jim Harbaugh to take the Chargers job. I think if he wanted to truly return to Michigan, I think the check's blank in Ann Arbor. So I don't think it's a money thing. I think it's can I get what I want in the pro at the pro level. And I think the Chargers want a good team out there. I think they've got the facilities. I think they've got everything. To me, he's with the Chargers next year. And here in the next couple podcasts, we're going to be talking about who takes the Michigan job. Uh, so I think that's where I'm I'm at with that one. I think Antonio Pierce is the guy in, in, in Raider country. I think uh, that's really a good decision for them. I think the players want him. 
I think he may have a revolt if they don't hire Antonio Pierce. And then I think ultimately he wants to be there. Sometimes with teams like the Browns, with the Raiders, uh, with the, the commanders even, a guy that's wanting to be there is worth worth its weight in gold. And so to me, give it to Antonio Pierce. Um, the Seahawks job, and I guess I'm just trying to work west to east, but the Seahawks <laughs> job, everybody says Dan Quinn. I don't know that I'm buying that, but I can't give you a candidate that I'd put that I feel like's a better fit than him. He's at least been there on staff with Pete Carroll, and I think ultimately knows the lay of the land and what to expect as far as walking in there. With McCarthy being retained, I don't know if that keeps him in Dallas, but to me, Dan Quinn wouldn't shock me, um, but we'll see. Uh, if you look at – go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm, go I was going to keep mowing right along. Uh, the Titans job. I don't have an answer there. Uh, you know, I don't know if you talk about wanting a splash, wanting a, a cooperative person, wanting somebody to bring us into the next level. I don't think it's a Bill Belichick. I don't think it's a Pete Carroll. So I don't know who the new face is there. It's obviously not going to be Mike Vrabel. So uh, I don't know. You've got to really have a guy that basically looks at a franchise and looks at the roster and says, I'm going to be bad for the first few years because they don't have cap space. They don't have a lot of room. He's only going to get to look at Derrick Henry. He's probably never going to get to coach the man So because uh, he's going to walk based on contract negotiations. So to me, that's maybe the toughest sell right now. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people that say maybe Belichick to the Falcons. That would be like the weirdest fit I've ever seen. Like, I just don't see in a, in a city that's hopping and, and really kind of a, a new age city, if you will, a lot of entertainment, a lot of things going on for you to bring in a guy who doesn't even wear, I mean, he wears a, 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 a hoodie with cutoff sleeves. I just don't think that's a good fit. Uh, I think Eric B I think he needs to be a little higher on the list for the commanders, and it's, it goes back to what I said earlier. He wants to be there, and I think that needs to amount to something. Uh, and then as far as the Panthers' job, I don't know. have no idea. Uh, I don't know that uh, the Todd Monken is, is a bad fit there, and the reason I say that is because he he's coached in the Southeastern Conference, that Carolina, Georgia Virginia area he probably is mapped out on the recruiting trail before so he may be in with some people like you know high schools and small colleges that would say oh coach Monken was cool when when he was at Georgia let's go support him let's go let's put butts in the seats to to support him in Carolina so I, I don't know that that's a bad fit but that he he may have just been the uh the obligatory got to interview three guys thing I don't know what you got you go to a horse track and they say, hey, there's some odd makers out there. And there's four of them. Um, and you're like, well, who are the odds makers? Who are the who are the who are the purebred go getters out there that, that I'm going to go watch race today? I think about four four names that uh, that I think are going to fill positions. Uh, so I think you've got Belichick and you've got Pete Carroll. I think those are safe plays for any one of these teams. Um, it's going to have to be a, a, um, a fit when it comes to dollars and what the expectations are there. Uh, so I think I think those two guys go somewhere. I'm with you on the uh, Jim Harbaugh going to San Diego. I think that's a right fit for him. And, and I just want to say before I give you my last two of the four horses in the race, 
the part, the reason why I think Jim Harbaugh goes to the NFL is because of his brother, John. So Jim sees John come two weeks before he plays in a divisional match against the Texans, go on vacation. He's not having to call his players and say, Hey, um, you know, let's talk about your NIL. Don't have to do that. He's got a who has contracts in place and handles all of that. Um, the NFL is not the grind that the college game is. And Jim knows that. And Jim has been successful at the NFL level. He knows he, he's not questioning like Saban or Spurrier saying, can I be successful at the collegiate level? Jim knows that he can be successful at the collegiate level. Sure. Uh, he comes from good pedigree and he, and he'll handle that job well. And he's got a quarterback. So my other two that I want to bring up besides, you know, the Belichick and the Carroll is uh, Mike McDonald and Mike Vrabel. Okay. Mike Vrabel, I think out of all the coaches that are out there is a guy that somebody has to pick up. If he's willing to coach, uh, you're crazy not to take him. Um, I think a lot of what he was dealing with was the quarterback position. He had the running backs. He was trying to build that offensive line to get, and he knew, he knew while he was drafting that he didn't have the quarterback or the receivers to have the passing game that he wanted to have at Tennessee. So he's drafting offensive linemen and he's trying to give Henry the support in the backfield. So I look for Vrabel to go somewhere. Um, I don't know where that would be. Uh, you know, his style as a defensive, as a defensive coordinator, Atlanta has been talking to a lot of defensive coordinators. So it could be Atlanta. Um, see, see the only dynamic with Atlanta is they, uh, they just fired a former Vrabel offensive coordinator. Arthur Smith was Vrabel's offensive coordinator. So I feel like a, a lot of his coaching style may, may be viewed as off the, the Vrabel block. So, you know, I thought that originally, I think it's a, it's a flashy look. I think it looks good. Honestly, I think Vrabel to Seattle wouldn't be a bad look. Now I know that's completely out of his, uh, out of his comfort zone, out of his, uh, you know, he's he's an Ohio State grad. He's a Patriot player, so he's kind of been on this side of the country for his the better part of his career and mostly. But I just see Seattle as a as a team that's willing to give you the reins. Uh, Carolina may be a team to give you the reins, but I feel like that one's a little bit of a dumpster fire right now. Uh, no no offense, Chris Hips, but uh, <laughs> uh, but I also uh, I don't know that I'm interested in seeing him because I do like his. I like the way he approaches the game. He hates losing. Uh, he wants the best, but he's even killed from day to day. That's my kind of guy. Uh, I don't think Washington's a good fit. Like I said, I don't think Air, uh, Atlanta's a good fit. Um, so, so I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of putting him either, either with Seattle or with the Panthers, uh, and we'll just see. Well, Seattle, that may be a good choice for him because, you know, they're talking about Dan Quinn and, you, you know, he was that he was their defensive coordinator. That's the link there in Seattle. Uh, but there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, sensitive feelings with Seahawks fans about how they performed against the Packers with Quinn at at D.C. So sure. So sure. So could Some be, would say could be, there was a little mud in the water, right? Oh, yeah, buddy. And yep. so, and, and who knows? I mean, I think we'll see in the coming days. I don't think McCarthy 
is ex- is retained and kept for one more year without him saying that he's going to make some changes to get him get him over the hump. So I expect some coaching changes there. Is that Dan Quinn uh, headed to Seattle? Who 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 knows? Uh, you know, I don't see Pete Carroll as a bad pick for the Tennessee Titans, and it's just because uh, you know they're about to get a new stadium. There's some there's some fun there that uh, he can he still got the the I don't know the raw raw kind of speak about him. So I think uh, he can definitely kind of get you back on track. Uh, but I just I for some reason expect them to go with a young coach. I don't know who that is. I don't know what that is. Do you think there's any coaches? And this is just well outside the box. Do you think there's any coaches that would flat jump ship, like leave a head coaching job and go to a different franchise? There's only one I'm thinking of that I'm like, he's a, he seems to be a fairly good coach, just in a in a hard to win situation. Tell me, Kevin okay, okay, with the Browns, I, I really what he was able to do there in his first couple of years, uh, I really feel like he's kind of marred up and and not a ton. I mean, it's it's Miles Garrett and name me two other Cleveland Browns right now. So Nick you're your count because he's hurt. So you're, uh, you know, with this whole Amy at the uh, Tennessee Titans, man, you're, you're reminding me a little bit of the Any Given Sunday movie where you had that, uh, uh, her, the owner was uh, Pagniacci. Yeah, it was, pa- yeah, Cameron Diaz, Christina Pagniacci or whatever, and she had Tony D'Amato yeah. as the head coach, and nobody thought Tony would leave. Everybody thought Tony would stay, and he ended up bailing, buddy. Uh, so yeah, I mean that's a good question. Uh, I mean I know it doesn't happen often, and and there's reasons why from contractual obligations and different things like that, you know. But it's not, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Uh, yeah, it, it happened. I can't remember. It happened just a couple years ago when a head coach left and took another head coaching job in the NFL. Uh, so I don't know that that's in the cards, uh, but I don't know that it's not. Yeah. Well- Mike McCarthy moved to Dallas after Jason Garrett had left or had been the mutual separation in Dallas. That might have been it. I don't. Well, I think no, I think they had they had kind of fired him and and Mike LaFleur or Matt LaFleur uh was was hired in there. Okay, uh, okay. Coach to leave an NFL job for another NFL job, but yeah, that's a good dynamic. I mean, that's that's something to definitely think about. Yeah. I mean, there's guys out there, and for whatever reason, it seems so much easier for these guys to move at the NFL level than it does at the collegiate level. You have buyouts and all these other uh, things to consider, but in the NFL, um, you know, they can they can change jobs uh, quite easily. So, uh, according so. There has been some trades, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but looks like um, Bill Belichick left the uh, he left the Jets after one day and took the New England job. So that's that, that effectively that. happened. Um, I know it's happened. I just can't find the uh, the latest hiring and firing. Right, uh, Mike Tomlin doesn't look happy in Pittsburgh. I mean, not that I think you. I don't know that there's a franchise out there right now. One that is ready for that that kind of person personality, uh, but also um, 
I don't know that you, there's a franchise that you're willing to leave the Steelers for. Uh, the Steelers, albeit in a little bit of trouble with their roster and, and different things, it's still the it's still the Pittsburgh Steelers. And so, uh, to me, I don't know that that's going to happen. But it's just a dynamic to think of because, like I said, um, I'm a I'm college first kind of guy, but it does kind of bother me and keeps me from from really investing in the pro game when uh, they continue to put guys who can't win in this franchise with that franchise. And it's still the NFL. It's still drafting your players. It's still free agency uh, and expecting a different result. Uh, I'm not, I'm not perfect at anything, but I know if you keep digging, digging a hole, it ain't going to get more shallow, Ben. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, and, you know, and kind of my closing thought on this Wayne is uh, like I said, I, I find it hard to believe that if Belichick's out there, Pete Carroll's out there, Vrabel's out there. Those three. I'm gonna give you those three. If and and look, I'll go ahead and throw Jim Harbaugh out there. If Jim Harbaugh sure. truly wants to go in the NFL, those four right there are gonna fill four of these positions. Mm. To me, that's that's a that, and I think Antonio Brown is gonna fill the Raiders. I think that's right. a that's I agree. Gonna... Yeah, because because uh, there's been comments made. There's been comments made about him and how satisfied ownership is with his performance and what the future looks like, but it just hasn't been a done deal yet. So inevitably it just leaves the, the commander's job and possibly Carolina open. So we'll just see how they shake that out. But hopefully by the next time we meet right here, there's either, either more smoking guns we can talk about, (laughs) or there's some hires that have been had. I expect, I expect within the next week or so, the, the uh, chargers job, if it's going to be Harbaugh one way or another with him, and then I think the Pierce thing needs to be finalized if we can at all. Uh, we were going to try to fit in some, if you saw it on the header, a uh, Dalton Connect conversation. He's a, he's a man-child, 230-plus games uh, in a row for the Vols. First time we've done that since Allen Houston. Uh, hopefully we get a little bit more of that out of him come this Saturday against Alabama. But, Ben, uh, we're over an hour mark here and uh, probably need to head on with it. But, uh, Ben – like where our Vols are, but again, we don't we don't get trophies for how good we play in January. We just got to keep playing well, work on our turnovers, do a little bit better at not having those long droughts in, in shooting or at least in scoring. And then because uh, we've only got, uh, I'm looking down the roster or down the schedule, uh, we're, we're just a couple weeks away from heading to Lexington to take on a Wildcat team that looks pretty good right now. I'm with you, Wayne. It's too early to uh, to be too critical about this team. Uh, one thing just to give to the folks from the cheap seats for us is, you know, Rick Barnes had a KD at Texas, yeah, Tennessee. Kevin He's Grant. got DK, yeah. buddy. <laughs> at least for a year, right? Uh, as the way he's playing, this he's is going to be a, he's going to be a one and doneer here. Uh, it's going to be a one and doneer if he keeps doing the way he's doing. But but uh, Rick Barnes, uh, he he's a uh, He's had a pretty good start to the new year. He's uh, he's four and one uh, to open the the new year. He is three and one in the Southeastern Conference. Lone loss at Mississippi State. Uh, I think it's nice to have Alabama in here uh, at home. I think that's always going to be a, a, a an advantage for Tennessee. Looks like it's going to try to be an orange out. So if anybody's headed that way, uh, get the right shade of orange and head to head on down to TBA, or I guess we got to call it Food City Center now. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I uh, 
I don't know. I, I think it's going to be an interesting dynamic. I was talking to our buddy Randy at work today uh, about this basketball game, and I think it's going to come down to officiating. Uh, Nate, Nate Oates' group is typically physical. Rick Barnes' groups typically know how to be physical. So I think if it's called tight, it's probably in favor of us because we're the home team. But if they let us play, I just hope our jaw is tough enough to take all those hits because Alabama is going to bring it physically. Yeah, and we're still early in SEC play for us to really see what this team is made up before we get into tournament play. But one key stat that I just want to throw out there, and this is what you were talking about, Wayne, and this kind of just kind of the feeling that you have when you watch a game in the Florida game. This is how streaky Tennessee is. Field goal percentage, first half, 60%. Second half, 43% from the field. Three-pointers, 44% in the first half, 22% in the second half. Uh, we need to get, we need to be consistent shooting the basketball. We don't need to have that much disparity from half to half. And I guarantee you Rick Barnes sees that and he's trying to uh, identify whether it be substitutions or how he uh, transitions his half court offense, how to, how to get that gap, how to close that gap and be more consistent half to half. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Consistency is what's going to win the race, right? I think that's the old adage. Uh, but I think uh, big things that we need, we need to continue to get good good play out of out of Connect. Still need to get good good points, minutes, and rebounds out of Adu. Uh, need some bench points. Uh, I, th- I feel like we've got a good core five, maybe six man, uh, but we need a little bit deeper bench there. And then I think really – we need Triple J to, to come alive a little bit, Vescovy uh, to hit some shots. It doesn't. Ha- I think if we can get, I don't know, six to eight points uh, every night out of Vescovy, I think that would that would go a long way. And then really, uh, it's probably the broken record that I'll continue to push, push, push. I love Zakai Ziegler. I love his effort. I love his passion on the floor. But we're gonna have to get him some stickum. We're gonna have to get him some gloves. I don't know. We gotta we gotta give uh, we gotta quit handing it to them. I mean, there was at least six to eight points off turnovers that were direct correlation from just sloppy ball handling by Zakai Ziegler. Yeah, Mayshack and Awaka when they come off the bench, they have to be more consistent. We can't we can't settle a night with ten points off the bench. Mm. Adu gets out there, he starts working the block, he starts putting up the field goals. He's gonna have to take a break five minutes into the ball game. We can't we can't have a Waka and Mayshack up in the personal fouls each ball game sure. and not generating offense. So uh, look for look to see some improvement from the bench as well. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think those are things that that again has to be worked on in January, so you can be ready for a push in late February, early March. But uh, Ben, Alabama coming to town Saturday. What's your, what's your uh, I don't want to say score prediction because I think in basketball it can be. You know, the sky's the limit, but what's your expectation as far as Tennessee being able to handle the tide? It's going to be a loud environment. Tennessee fans are going to show out in full force. And this team, historically under Rick Barnes, plays with a lot of energy and somebody catches fire. Uh, so I look for whether it be Dalton Connect, Josiah Jordan James, or Sergio v- or Vescovy, uh, Ziegler, someone's going to get hot. And uh, I expect us to have a uh, pretty pretty uh, substantial win uh, this Saturday. Yeah, I'm I'm expecting us to win. I think they're going to sell the farm. They being Nate Oates' bunch uh, to stop 
uh, Dalton Connect. I think uh, he's he's had two 30-plus point games in a row. So Nate Oates is doing everything he can to understand where he gets the basketball, where he takes shots, where he feels comfortable and trying to take some of that away. So to me, uh, I think we're going to have to have uh, an emergence of somebody. Is that Adu having another great game? Maybe. Is it Josiah Jordan James giving us 10 and maybe Vescovy putting eight on the board as well? I don't know how we've got to do it, but to me, I think you, you, you make good you make good uh, good possessions on the offensive end of the floor, and then just really attack the defensive glass, and then I think the rest will take care of itself. Just uh, use use your offense to work for you, not against you, and see if we can't get out of there with a win. I'm expecting Tennessee to win, but I, I think it's going to be a, a heavyweight battle. Yeah, and you mentioned it before we got to this segment. It's all going to come down to that first five minutes of officiating. So I think it's very important for us to watch the first five minutes and to see how these guys are going to call this ball game, How who's going to get into foul trouble first. Um, so I think that's very important. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. But, Ben, let's, uh, let's kick on out of here. Episode 27 in the books. Talked a little head coaching vacancy. Talked Gerard Mayo and talked the DeBoer era of Alabama football and what that means for the rest of us. But uh, we're going to head on out of here. If you like what you've seen, like, subscribe, share this video, and then go back and look at some of our older ones. Uh, we're If we're good today, we might have been better before, or if we're bad today, give us a chance from the before videos. But, Ben, uh, we'll be back next week to talk more Tennessee basketball, more coaching search, more NFL, hopefully talk a little playoff NFL next week. Uh, but, Ben, it's been fun catching up with you, talking sports with you. And as always, guys, grind on.